Well, if you would grab your copy of God's Word and would you find the last book, Revelation, the last chapter, chapter 22. Our focus will be in verse 17. I'll reference the last, very last verse of the New Testament, the Bible, uh, and then get back to verse 17, which again will be where we will laser our attention today. Revelation 22, 17. Grace. Probably a lot comes to your mind when you think of the word grace. The concept of grace makes us smile. The word grace is special. We name our daughters grace. We extend grace. We desire grace extended towards us. We say grace. We believe that God is a gracious God, and he is. He began telling us he's a gracious God by showing us the very first mission trip. God himself went on mission to find his wayward, rebellious children in order that he might extend grace to them. Though they deserved to die in his mercy, he did not kill them. And in his grace, he made a promise to save them. The Bible ends with grace. The last verse, if you're in Revelation 22, look at the last verse. In Revelation 22, the last verse of the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So be it. May this be the case. Our gospel message that we preach and proclaim, that we live and die for, is the gospel of good news of God's grace. Everybody was born in sin, weren't they? We were conceived in iniquity, Psalm 51 verse 5 tells us. We're guilty, too, of breaking God's laws and commands. As Paul lays out in Romans 3, beginning in verse 9. In reality, we're enemies of God, alienated from Him, as Paul says in Colossians 1. Alienated and hostile in our mind to God. Whoa, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. I've never been hostile towards God. But what we do is we form a God that we don't have to be hostile about. And then we begin to discover who God really is. It grates against our humanness and our fallenness and our sinfulness. And we begin to be hostile. We are at odds with God. We're unrighteous. We're sinful. We're not able to justify ourselves or be right before God. The Bible says we're destitute. We're blind. We're unclean. We're even dead in trespasses and in sin. No hope of ever helping ourselves, certainly not able to save ourselves, all of us born in peril of going to hell. All of us, apart from the grace of God, would suffer eternal punishment. Grace offers the means for which we can be right before a holy God. Paul writes in Romans 3, we are justified by His grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul told Titus, we are justified or made right by God, for God, by His grace. I love this. So we can inherit the eternal life, which is a gift from God. After we're saved, grace provides us access to meet in fellowship with Him. Ephesians 1 actually tells us that we are accepted in the beloved. It literally means by God's grace, we, we who are saved are loved by God as much as God loves Jesus. That's only by God's grace. 
We're told in Hebrews chapter 4, we can enter into the very throne room of God and come to God's throne of grace. That means I can ask for stuff I don't deserve. Because there's nothing I can ask for I do deserve. I can ask God at the throne of grace. Grace wins us a new relationship intimacy with God. Um, on one occasion, God looked at Moses, told Moses this, you have my favor, which is my grace, and I know your name. By God's grace, you like Moses today are known by God. He knows every hair on your head, every thought in your heart. He knows what you could never discover, and he loves you if you're his child. Grace grants us immeasurable spiritual riches, God makes us rich in Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. What does you mean by that, Solomon? You make me rich and there's no sorrow because everything God gives me never gets old. It never has to be updated. It never has to be upgraded. It never becomes obsolete. I'm never sorry I have it. It never wears out. I never want to get rid of it. Every rich of God, every wealth of God only gets better and better as the days go by. He doesn't get better and his grace isn't more perfect, but we understand it better by and by that's why i love how that our gracious god with his incredible love ends the bible with a gracious invitation a gracious invitation i've received some invitations recently Alessa and i have been invited to weddings and to graduations and i enjoyed those sometimes i get invitations that seem too good to be true do you ever get those it's a free meal it's free tickets it's a free cruise and those offers often seem too good to be true and you know why because they are too good to be true. I mean, I've been suckered a few times in my life, and uh, one in particular for free tickets to Disney. We were first married and didn't have a whole lot of money to rub together, so free tickets sounded good. We just had to go to this meeting. I'd have sold my molars to get out of that meeting. Like, I don't like to tell people no. I'm a, I don't like, the, I don't mean in that room, no, no, and they don't like to take no. But by God's grace, we didn't buy a timeshare. But I have received offers and invitations that seemed too good to be true that were actually true. Some of you have heard this story, but bear with me because it's the high, one of the highlights of my life as a, just as, as an experience. A, a, a man that I didn't know well invite me to go to the Masters Golf Tournament with him. And I love the Masters Golf Tournament. Watch it every year. Record it now. Then I didn't know him, and I thought, <laughs> whatever. That's what I didn't tell him that. Like, it's too good to be true. Didn't think another thing of it. A month later, six months before the tournament, hey, you ready? I'm going to take you. And I just thought again, okay. I didn't really know him. He didn't really know me. But another month, it was month of December, he tells my wife, you're getting ready to go to the Masters because I'm taking him. So then I think maybe there's something to this invitation. Then I get to know him better, and I realize there is something to this. Not only does he take me, we go into the trophy room where the pros eat. I'm inside where the pros eat, and I'm there. Why? Because an invitation that seemed way too good to be true was actually, in fact, true. I'm so glad I didn't say, I don't believe that invitation. 
I've had others like that. I've sat in the living room of some pastors, heroes that are heroes of mine, teaching me because I got invited to an institute that I could never afford, never afford financially, but somebody made a way anonymously to send me. When I got the invitation, I thought this is too good to be true. But in fact, it was true. And I'm so glad I didn't throw the invitation away. You ever had any of those? Sure you have. Sure you have. But when God gives an invitation, it will always seem too good to be true. But our God is too good for His invitations not to be true. Look in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. The invitation from our Lord actually comes in the middle of the verse. But at the first of the verse you have prayers. After the prayers, then the plea. Verse 17, if you're there, say amen of Revelation 22. Amen. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, this gracious invitation that you extend to whoever desires to have eternal life. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. My outline's really easy. The Spirit says come, the saved say come, and the Savior says come. A very simple outline, so it'll be easy to follow. Before I get into one more illustration, and it comes from real life experiences from people in our church who could share something along these lines where those of you in our church and others that I know personally, some friends of mine, who travel from our nation to foreign nations, and there in foreign nations walked into an orphanage and met a child who never knew what it was to have a parent or to have more than one set of clothes or shoes that weren't wore out or a kitchen that didn't have a lock on the pantry or even food in the pantry. They never knew. And a parent come from the United States of America to say, I want to invite you into my family. Parents say, I want to invite you into my family. And the experience has been by so many, and some of you have had this experience. You left that foreign country, and you got on a plane that you could only imagine getting on, and you came into a nation that you only heard of, and you walked into a house that might as well have been Disney World for all you've ever known, because you had your own bed and your own sheets and your own pillow and your own blanket and your own bathroom and your own toothbrush, and you went into, walked into the kitchen and there was no lock on the pantry, and you opened up the pantry and you saw more food than you've ever seen in your life in that kitchen. And you thought maybe in the invitation as a kid, if you could even think in these terms at that age, this is too good to be true, but you only received the invitation and by Receiving it and being adopted by your parents, you have received now what is not only so good, it is so good and it is true, adoption. 
That's the invitation of our Lord. Every one of us who's ever accepted the invitation to be saved sat there thinking, I don't know, I don't know if this is good enough to be true. We didn't say it that way. We may not even thought that way. I certainly didn't think that way. But I know what I thought when I was lost. I thought maybe there was something better that could come along. I held off on being saved even though I knew I was lost. I regret that. Even though I was saved very young, very young, I was saved very young. Yeah, at the same time, I can remember rejecting Christ for six years. And when I finally took him up on the invitation, I can tell you, I can tell you on my own testimony, which you don't have to take to the bank because you have the scriptures that you can rest upon. But I can tell you my own testimony that everything God has promised is so much better than I ever knew. He is too good not to be true. And no, life hasn't been easy and life never will be. And I won't go through it unscathed, neither will you. I would never go back to a life without Christ. Those of you who are without Christ today, You will never, ever regret the moment that you receive the imitation and believe that it's true. I want to get in the outline. Here the Spirit says, come. I want to begin by telling you this is a prayer. This is a prayer from whom? The Holy Spirit. Who is this praying this prayer? The Spirit says, come. The Spirit here is the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit in Revelation. And the Spirit of Christ is... The third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, our paraclete, is praying. Now, it shouldn't come as a surprise to you that the Holy Spirit prays. It might come as a surprise to you that he is actually praying that Jesus Christ returns. It's on the heels of what Jesus promised John in this text. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly. doesn't mean all, I'm coming in the next few days. It just means that when I come, it's going to happen quickly. So here the Spirit then prays. The Spirit prays, come Lord Jesus. Why would the Spirit pray this way? Well, he would pray this way for a number of reasons that we have in Revelation. I want to focus on one because of our time. We're told that the Spirit of God prays this way because he wants Christ exalted. We're told that when the Holy Spirit would come, our helper in John 15, the Spirit of truth would proceed from the Father. He will bear witness about me. Just as a caution footnote, be very careful when people spend more time magnifying the gifts, the signs, and the experiences of the Holy Spirit than they do the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the exaltation of Christ. So the Holy Spirit's going to exalt Christ. It is His determination to do so. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit thinks, He knows, He can be grieved, He prays for us, He even makes decisions. Proof is in 1 Corinthians 12 when He's made a decision on what gift you would have, why you would be the way you are, talk the way you talk, live the way you live, or talented the way you're talented, but spiritually gifted the way you are. Everyone I'm looking at in this room is a bodybuilder. Yeah, because you have been gifted by God to build up the body of Christ. You guys look great, by the way. Y'all been in the gym, haven't you? We've all been gifted, and the Spirit of God decided what gift you would have. The Spirit of God, then, is not some mystical force like Obi-Wan Kenobi would use, or some ethereal, uh, uh, atmospheric a person out there in the world we're praying to, he is God. Why do I say this? Because it's very helpful. Why, when the Spirit prays this way, should we be helped? Because here's the way the Spirit is praying. The Spirit is praying, Jesus, come back. 
When Jesus was on the earth, when Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem and then grew up and walked on this earth, he came as a human in the flesh. He set aside his divine prerogative. This is an amazing thought. When Jesus set aside his divine prerogatives or his power, he did not cease to be God at all in any way. This is the mystery, really the mystery of godliness that, that God became flesh and set aside his divine prerogatives. So then if Jesus set aside his divine prerogatives, how did he have power to raise people from the dead, to heal, to preach, to proclaim life? How, how did he have that power? Well, he's Jesus. No, 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 stop. I, I, was a, I had that kind of thought for a while, so a little simplistic thought. Jesus had power to do what he did because Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he said to his disciples, I have received the Spirit without measure. When he was baptized, did what was right. The Father said, I am well pleased. The Spirit came down like a dove, not a dove, like a dove, only to illustrate what? This is Jesus in the power of the Spirit. He was driven to the wilderness in the Spirit. All the work that he did was in the Spirit. Hebrews tells us that Jesus offered himself up in the power of the Spirit. He actually went to the cross in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a man's man. You better rest assured of that. He was no sissy by any stretch. He was a man would shake your hand and man you knew he shook, you knew somebody shook your hand when he took up his cross after being whipped he was a man's man carrying that cross he didn't need help because he was weak he needed help because he was beaten so and he was a human and he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit are you following this what he did was in the power of the Holy Spirit as a human and I'm a human and you're a human and sometimes we just say oh, well I'm just human Except there's something very special about us humans that are saved. Is that the Spirit of God that lived in Christ, the Spirit of Christ lives in us. When Jesus comes back, this is what's going to be beautiful. Here's what's going to happen. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back in his exalted state. When he came the first time, he came and set aside his divine prerogatives as deity, though he was still God, never let that go, never wasn't God. But when he comes back, coming back in the fullness of his power. And the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, can't wait to show y'all everything that I've been talking about and showed you the scriptures. Now, look on Jesus. I can't wait for you to see it. When Jesus is finally seen in his exalted state. When Jesus comes back in his exalted state, then we who are saved will be in our perfected state, which means that the Holy Spirit of God will finally have complete control over us, completely have complete control of our minds and our thoughts, in our thoughts, our hearts and emotions, our actions. Every part of us will be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants today. That's what the Holy Spirit wants today. When I, when I got down to pray for this message yesterday and this morning, I prayed what I always pray. I pray for you. I pray for me that God, you would use me in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would not show Scott, that you would kind of move Scott's personality out of the way so that Christ can be exalted because I know me. And even though I pray that prayer and I believe I submit myself, walk in holiness, come to the Lord by, by by giving my mind and heart to the Lord and study, I know me. All it takes is somebody to come up and say, Pastor, did you know so-and-so passed away? And all of a sudden, 
I am in that world. I wonder how their family is. I wonder what's going on there, who's ministering to them. And all of a sudden, I'm not thinking about my preaching. My mind is a million miles away. Does your mind ever do that? And by the way, this is not me telling you not to do that. I'm just telling you I'm human. And even though I'm here and I want to preach Jesus glorified, I have to wrestle with, I sure hope people like me. I know y'all don't. But I wrestle with that in my flesh. And even though I pray, God, have me. Holy Spirit, fill me. There's still this fight. But one day, no more fight. One day, the Holy Spirit, who has shown me Jesus in the Scriptures, will say, Yerka, look at his face. Didn't I tell you? And I'm going to say, you did. But it's far better than I could have imagined. And God is too good to be untrue. I, I, I've been in ministry since I was, for 35 years, since I was four years old. So I learned very early on in ministry, like when I, I talked to a grandparent, I'd say, man, hey, congratulations on that grandchild. I know what's next. Oh, check this out. This is, this is them eating, this is them, this, this is them taking a bath. This is the, this is the, oh, they see that, they skid their knee up. Isn't that cute? Look at that band-aid. I mean, you know, when you're young and you don't even have kids, you're not even married, you're like, that, that's great. And now I'm a granddad. Just ask me to show you some pictures. I got them. Can't wait to show them. When the Holy Spirit's praying this prayer, don't think for a moment he can't wait to show us Jesus Christ face to face. Not only is he wanting to show it to us, but to show Jesus in his exalted state, us in our perfected state, so that we can be controlled by the Spirit of God. Because what the Spirit of God wants in your life right now is to control you. He wants to control every part of you. The invitation that Jesus gives is to come and drink and you can be saved. And certainly you will be saved and fulfilled and have life. But the the walk that we have now is to be a walk in the Spirit. We are not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but we are to be filled with the Spirit. Controlled by the Spirit. That's what the Spirit wants. So he's praying, come Lord Jesus. So finally, God's will in heaven is done perfectly on earth when we are under the complete control of the Spirit. But that's what he desires now. He desires that you and I be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. And that our life is completely fulfilled by living for Him constantly. Bill Stafford, who used to preach here now, is with the Lord. He used to say, you know, when I got saved, I didn't quit drinking. I just changed fountains. That's what the Spirit of God does. He comes not only to fill you, but to fulfill your life. There's a host of reasons the Spirit of God prays. And if we had time, we could walk through all of the reasons in Revelation, not only in the New Testament, as to why the Holy Spirit is praying for Jesus to come back. But here's what's going to happen. When, he, when Jesus comes, we will be filled fully and finally with the Holy Spirit. So now we must continually be filled with the Spirit. How does a person stay drunk? They have to keep drinking. In the same way, Paul says, don't be drunk, but in the same way a drunk stays drunk, you stay being filled with the Spirit. So one day, finally and fully, we'll be filled with the Spirit. Right now, we have to continually be filled with the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus did. Jesus sometimes unplugged. Did y'all know that? Jesus just sometimes had to get away from people. Anybody ever have to get away from people? 
our moms here. Every once in a while do you say, when dad gets on their years, I'm out. And good dads say, you need to be out for a little while, right? But what Jesus never did when he got unplugged is get uncharged. There's times where we just, we don't know if we can handle it anymore. The stress has gotten too full or the decision too weighty or the struggle too heavy. And we say, I just need to unplug. Let's get away. David was that way. David was a warrior and a king. And he was just tired of fighting. And he just unplugged. And he went home, got away from the battlefield, got away from his generals, the war rooms, got in his bedroom, just got away. But unfortunately, he didn't get plugged in to the spirit of God. And he walked out onto his balcony and looked where he shouldn't have looked, desired what he shouldn't have had, made a decision that would change the course of history when he committed adultery and then murder. Elijah, that's a man's man right there. I love Elijah. I've been to Mount Carmel. I'll I'll picture just that man, Elijah, standing before all those prophets of Baal, saying to them, hey, where's your God? One man, where's your God? Maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe he's in the portalette. Go check. It's in the Bible. Go look. I promise you, it's not the portalette part, but that's what he says. Where's your God? That's a man's man. And then the next chapter, you read how that his life is threatened, and he runs. He says, I just got to get... I just got to get to the woods. There's some men like that. I just got to get to the woods. And he unplugs, but he doesn't plug in to the Spirit of God. And so God has to come to him in that still, small voice. There he was, hating life, just hating life. Didn't even want to live. What I'm trying to tell you is that what the Spirit of God prays and prays so strongly on for the believer here is that you and I would desire what he desires, that Jesus would come back. Because when Jesus does come back, Jesus is going to be seen in his exalted state. We're going to be in our perfected state and we're going to be full of the spirit and finally able to exalt him the way we should. But that's not something we wait on, y'all. How many of you parents are happy when you give your kids responsibilities while you're gone, but they wait till you get home to start doing them? The Spirit of God then should control us. There's a lot there. There's a lot more. But let me go to the second point. The saved are also praying in concert with the Spirit. So the saved, the church, the bride, that's us and those who hear. Anyone who hears this revelation, we're all saying the same thing, praying the same way, praying the will of God. We're praying, Lord Jesus, come back. Why would we pray that way? Well, we want what the Spirit wants. So when we submit to the Spirit, we pray in harmony with the Spirit. Without the bride of Christ, the Spirit is voiceless. But without the Spirit, the bride is powerless. Our power comes from the Spirit, and the Spirit directs our prayers. And with a voice, we pray our longing and our looking. A hallmark of true Christianity, of Christian belief, is that we are looking and longing for Jesus to come back, proved in the fact that we live that way. So we should be praying for Jesus to come back. And come back quickly. Because when we do... We begin to align our lives with the very will of God. Now, I can tell you, 
As I was growing up, I grew up in a church that was prophecy every Sunday. And I wasn't a good little Christian. I was saying, Lord, don't come back. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting the new wheels on my car next week. I haven't been married yet. I wasn't praying, Jesus, come back quickly. I was somewhat excited, but not all the way. But I probably should have been then doing what God said. And it's my fault for not doing what God said. And that's pray for his coming. And why? Because as we began to pray for his coming, we began to see our hearts aligned to the will of God so that his will in heaven is done in our hearts. Now this becomes more specific. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my heart as it's done for heaven. Let me give you some examples. Let me give you some examples. Jesus said, this is the way to pray. Pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? So as I begin to pray for God's will to be done, my life begins to be more in line with what does God want here? What does God say? What does God's word teach? Give us this day our daily bread. I begin to pray that way, and now I'm grateful as I pray each day for my daily bread. I can tell you, we can go to our fridge and our pantry, and sometimes, I mean, I have actually thought, man, this is so crammed full, and then caught myself to say, God, I can't believe I said that. Thank you that it's crammed full. As I pray, my heart begins to be aligned with the fact that it's God who provides for me. Therefore, I can be a good steward with what I have and give gratefully to the Lord. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. As I begin to pray, God, let me forgive my debtors. Let me forgive people who've sinned against me. I don't want to. I want to pray these imprecatory psalms. and Go get them, God. And God says, pray for us. Pray for our, for our debtors and our hearts begin to align. Let me ask you a question. How many of you as parents are praying daily for the salvation of your children? We pray for our one, maybe it's your parents, but I'm just going to talk to parents and grandparents for a moment. Parents, are you praying every day for the salvation of your children? Daniel Rhaegar, our children's pastor on Friday night, talked about how that he walks by his kids' rooms every night, prays for their salvation. I pray for the salvation of our little granddaughter, Georgia Ann. I pray, when Leslie prays every morning in our devotional time, we pray for all of our kids, and we pray for our child to be, our children to walk with Christ, and we pray that little girl, she's, she's one years old, would she, would she never reject Christ? Would she always know what it is to love Jesus? And would she be converted in salvation at an early age so she can love God all of her life, with all of her heart, mind, soul, and strength? Now, now, how many of you are praying that for your kids? How many of you say that's God's will that our kids be saved? If it is God's will and I'm praying according to God's will, now my heart's beginning to align. That means when little George Ann's in the back seat of my truck, everybody driving on the road's not an idiot. Granddaddy's got to be patient and transparent because I have failures and flaws and can't pretend like I'm perfect because kids hate hypocrisy like we do so as I begin to pray for my kids to be saved I am praying the will of God but do you see how my life now is beginning to be aligned to the will of God if I pray for my kids to be saved but I'm not coming to church on Sundays because we've got other things to do and this is just a really busy season of life and you know we have these passes and we have these look we want our kids to move up through the ranks look I've been there I've done that I can tell you as a loving father and a loving pastor if you want your kids to be saved there are just some things you're going to refuse to be a part of in this world this is why I'm praying God's will 
is so key. It aligns our heart to the Lord. I pray for my spouse. I'm praying for Leslie. Every day I pray for her. Pray together. But here's why I'm not praying. God fix her. She loves that prayer, by the way. Just kidding. My wife would. I've been in so many counseling situations over the years. I don't counsel like I used to nearly as much. But in those counseling situations, I, I, I've heard this from husbands. She does this. She does that. She doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. And now, my, 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 my counsel's pretty straightforward. Put your big boy pants on and take on responsibility and lead your wife. I'll never forget, y'all. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was 21 years old, counseling a married couple that we want to go to you to counseling because we don't believe anybody else's counsel. And I heard the arguments back and forth. They are yelling at each other in my office. Here I am. I'm, I'm, y'all, I'm not even married. I had no business being in that room counseling this couple. I slapped my desk just to shut down the arguing. Like, everybody can hear you. What was the argument about? What they're not doing and what they ought to be doing. As I began to pray for God's will to be done in my life, I began to take on the responsibility of what it means to be a man and to be a husband and to love my wife and to serve her and take on the responsibility. And the more I do that, the more convicted of what I've got to do and not what she needs to do. Y'all, it's painful sometimes. It's convicting sometimes. But prayer, according to God's will, is the amen. Praying Jesus comes, longing for his return. But notice lastly, and this is lastly, and I want to get here. There's a transition in the text, verse 17, and then we'll, we'll move into our invitation. The Spirit says come, the bride says come, and all who hear, that's all of us, in concert and in harmony, praying for the Spirit of God, to, well, along with the Spirit of God for Jesus to come. But, but there's a pause. The Spirit and bride, let's say come, the text turns into its grammatical construction. And here we're told by the Lord Jesus Christ, who now is the speaker, who now has a plea, whoever will let him come to the water of life freely. There are two different invitations here. One is the spirit and the believers. The other is the Lord Jesus Christ to the sinner. And the Lord Jesus Christ is making an invitation. Come, come to the water of life. You can have it freely. What you've been seeking for in this world, you can find in me. What you've been seeking and thirsting after, you have in me. Some of you are thirsting to death, and what a painful way to live, and a painful way to die. I read about thirsting to death this week. When someone thirsts to death, so many things happen. But the last thing that happens is the brain shrinks so much that it tears away from the membranes of the skull, and vessels begin to break, and it is intensely painful. The only fortunate part of this is that by the time this happens, the person thirsting to death is unconscious and don't know what's happening. But that's why crucifixion is so evil. Because when our Lord died on a cross, he thirsted. And he never, ever went unconscious and felt the pain of literal dehydration. So that if you would receive the invitation of eternal life and drink from the water of life freely, you would never have to scream out like the rich man does in Luke 16 
Would you just send someone to hell to put one drop of finger, one drop of water on their finger and put that one drop of water on my tongue? Imagine an eternity begging in eternity for just one drop of water. And Jesus thirsted on the cross that way to offer to you freedom, forgiveness, and salvation if you would just come and receive the invitation. And not only the escape from what you deserve, which is hell, but the joy of eternal life in heaven. Jesus is the source of this call. He's softly, tenderly calling today. It's a simple call. If you thirst, you can come. And it is it's for anyone who will, who will come. Look at the, the text again. Whoever desires to come to Jesus can. Do you desire? Notice the seriousness of this as well. You have to come now. Because Jesus is coming back quickly. And if he's drawing you, calling you, the answer in your soul should be, yes, Lord, I'll receive the invitation. Deciding is not coming. You say, yeah, I decide. I am going to receive this invitation of salvation. That's not conversion. Deciding is not salvation. It's not receiving the invitation. You can decide to go to a wedding and never show up. Delay is not coming. You can't say, well, I know I ought to, but it's Mother's Day. The invitation is now. Come to Christ. Debating. Well, I've got a lot of unanswered questions. It's not here that says, if you have all your questions answered, then you can drink. Are you thirsty? If you're thirsty, then you can come and drink. Denying. Well, I'm not sure I could keep all these commandments. The question is not whether or not you can keep the commandments. The question is, will you come? Do you desire to come? Are you thirsty? I came across this in a book. A story of a man who had left home, was living on the streets as a homeless beggar. He's in Pennsylvania and he looked up at a man walking down the street and he asked the man for a dime. Can you spare a dime? A dime. The man reached down in his pocket, was reaching down to grab a pocket, and the man that asked for the dime looked up in the face of that man as he's looking for money in his pocket. And he said, Father? Dad? The man immediately looked at the, the other man and saw who he was, put his arms around him and grabbed him and said, Son, I've been looking for you for 18 years. 18 years. You're asking me for a dime? You're my son. Everything I have is yours, son. Everything I have is yours. When I was reading this story, it was in a book by that uh, John MacArthur was quoting Wilmer Chapman on, and this actually happened in Wilmer Chapman's life. I thought, how many people are that way? How many of us are that way? Just walking through life, looking for another dime when the Father says, if you'll come to me, everything I have is yours. Everything in my pantry you can have. Everything in the kitchen. Everything in my my house, it belongs to you. You can have life, life eternally, and the joy of the Holy Spirit to fill you, and you can know what it is to walk in the joy of the Lord. Hey, we're praying, Jesus, come back. But in the middle of that prayer, Jesus is pleading, you come. Pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you that you've given us this text of Scripture of grace, a gracious invitation right at the very end of all that takes place in Revelation. You are gracious to call sinners to repentance. There are sinners here who have not been saved. May they be free today and be saved. In Jesus' name.
Amen. On one occasion, Jesus looked at a bunch of religious people who are weary and wore out by keeping their legalistic laws and commandments. And Jesus said, aren't you tired? You may be a religious person. You may have grown up in church. You may have the religion of your parents and grandparents before them. And it's hard to cast off the yoke, the chains of that religion. But Jesus looked at all of those people and said, if you'll throw that off, you'll come to me. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want this water? You can't buy it. It's free, but it cost him everything. He paid for it on the cross, offered up his blood, thirsted so you would never have to. You can be saved if you'll receive this invitation. It's that simple. It's amazing. I, I, I don't know why. Well, I do. Satan is always there. The flesh is always there. Ah, it's too good to be true. But our God is too good not to be true. Leave your sin and self-righteousness and come to Christ. Would you stand? We're going to have an invitation. We call it an invitation for this reason. We're extending what Jesus is inviting you to do, and that's to come to Christ. There's some of you moms in here. You're a good mom, but you need Jesus. Your, your kids need a mama who loves Jesus. And you need to come to Christ today. And by God's grace, he's extended an invitation. There's some dads here. God's called you to be a man, hasn't he? Called you to lead your family. You're like, I don't even know where to start. Starts here. Starts at the foot of the cross. Starts at the foot of the cross where you receive this invitation to turn from your sin and trust Christ. I need to do that. What do I do? Hey, here's the invitation. Come. There's kids in here. All right? The Bible says, honor your mom and dad. It starts with a relationship with Christ. You need to leave your seat. Come to Christ. What do I do, pastor? Just come. Simple. We'll show you in the Bible what it means to believe on Jesus, to receive this gift, if you'll come. Some of you need to get right with God, don't you? You're saved. You're like, I'm, I'm saved, pastor. I need to get right with God. I've been drinking from the wrong fountain. Well, come on. Come on. God will change you. He's been working, sanctifying you. He's brought that conviction to your heart. Come, get right with God. Do what God's on your heart right now. We'll meet you here.